Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. Christmas story, look at, my goal is to kind of look at some different viewpoints, different um, kind of people who are involved in the story that we might not think of, and what the season of Christmas meant originally for them, you know. Are you guys cool if we do that together? Yeah, awesome. So I'm just going to kick back, sit down, and we'll go through the Christmas story, you know, because so Christmas time, the original story, it was it was not just a single event, a single day. It was years, really, decades of different people's lives all coming together, culminating in a single moment. The Christmas story has shepherds in it, right? We've all heard that, the shepherds. It has these, there's actually a prophet lady at a temple. There's an old man at the temple. There's uh, these like kings, some say kings, some say magi, some say astrologers. We don't really know what they are, but the three, you know, the we three kings, those guys, right? They were involved. There's all these people in there. One intersection comes together. They had this one thing in common. They all came to adore Jesus. You know the song, Oh Come, Let Us Adore Him? This is the one thing they all had in common. They came from different walks of life, different ethnicities, different groups, different classes of like really crazy poor to crazy rich, but they all found one thing in common. They came to adore Jesus. And my heart and my goal with this week and next week is to look at kind of two groups of the people tonight and two uh, next week and see how each one kind of represents a different season of life that you might be in and how the answer is the same, come adore Jesus, that that's still the answer. And so, all right, here we go. Open your Bibles. We're jumping to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read it for you. If you don't have your Bible, no worries. Luke chapter 2. But here is kind of the the Christmas story, all right? Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Just to give you some context, if you're not familiar, uh, there's a woman named Mary, and she is visited by an angel, okay? And if that was not enough, right? If I was visited by an angel, I'd freak out. But if that's not enough, the angel says to her, hey, Mary, you will have a child, and he is going to be the savior of the world. No pressure, right? You're going to do great, (laughs) right? He's going to be the Savior of the world. His name will be Jesus. The Father will be God himself. No idea. She's like, I don't know how that's going to happen. And he says that you will be a virgin and yet still give birth to Jesus the Messiah, right? And then her, she was engaged at the time to a guy named Joseph. Imagine how scary that is. She says, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And, uh, it was God, right? And he's like, what? <laughs> like, you know, right? And I mean, come on. That's, we have the story of Jesus and we still say that's absurd. Back then, they never even heard of such of a thing. And, and, and we're like, what? Right? But then God actually comes to Joseph as well and says, don't worry, it is me. It's me. You're going to name him Jesus. So Mary and Joseph now, they're in this journey and they go back to their hometown of Bethlehem. And that's kind of where this story starts, where Jesus is going to be born. Okay. So verse one, it says this, says, during those days, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. 
Quirinius was the, the governor of Syria at that time. Everyone had to travel to his or her own hometown to complete the mandatory census, okay? So does that make sense? The government says, hey, we want to count all the people. You have to go back to your hometown, right? So they say, all right. So Joseph and his fiance Mary, left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and they journeyed to their hometown in Judea, to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. All right. So verse six, when they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor and there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough or a manger, other translations will say, because there was no available space in any upper room in the village. All right, one second here. So are you guys following the story? What happened here? So they go to the hometown, they get into their hometown, and then there's this moment, baby's here right? Baby Jesus is born. There's no room. The place is crowded because uh, everyone's coming back to the hometown of Bethlehem. So the guy basically is like, you can stay in my barn, you know, and she has Jesus in the barn and puts him in a feeding trough. It's not clean. It's not like this beautiful thing like we see the nativity scenes of sweet eight ounce, you know, or eight ounce, eight pound, eight ounce baby G, really little baby Jesus, right? Sitting in there, right? It's not, it's not like the manger scene. We say it's dirty. It smells bad. There's donkey poop on the ground. Like it's like a barn, right? And this is where the glorious savior is born in a manger, a spot where pigs go to eat. Okay. And so nasty. So Bethlehem, okay. Bethlehem in the original language it's the name of town, but it actually means, when it's translated, it means the house of bread, right? So I call this IHOP, Israel's house of bread, okay? Right, like IHOP, the house of pancakes, okay? Anyway, Jesus, he had many names given to him. One of the names given to Jesus as the Savior was the bread of life. So the bread of life, right, is born in the house of bread and placed in a feeding trough. Almost as if to say, come and eat from the bread of life, right? In the house of bread, the bread of life is facing a feeding trough. And what's crazy, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 3, 8, thousands of years before Jesus was born, the book says this. It says, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is Jesus's other name? The word, the word of God. And so the bread and the word are placed in the spot for you to feed. From the get-go, this is God telling us, come, feed, have life, right? It's long before communion, where Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. We know it means communion, right? (laughs) Right, it's not literal. But he's saying, come and eat long before this ever even happened. And so... The, the first group of people after he's born that I want to take a look at is the shepherds. And this is their kind of vantage point, their view of the Christmas story. Verse 8 is where it starts. It says, That night in a field near Bethlehem, there were shepherds watching over their flocks. 
Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God. I have the Passion Translation. That's why it's so like, wow. The blazing glory of God, right? And the shepherds were terrified. Yeah, totally, right? But the angel reassured them saying, don't be afraid for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone, everywhere. Everyone, say everyone. Everyone. And say everywhere. everywhere. Doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what stage of life you're in, it's for you. Everyone, everywhere. This is, this is a big moment. This is when God chooses who will be the first people on planet earth for me to tell that my child is born. My brother, he is the, the most amazing little girl in the world. She's the best niece in the world, right? I'm not, no favoritism. It's just facts. She's the greatest niece in the world. I'm sorry if you have a niece, mine's better, right? So she's the greatest niece in the world. Her name's Anaya. Okay. When she was born, like she's almost five. So five, five, or she is five, five years ago, she was born. And it was one of those moments they're in the hospital. My brother's in there with his wife. It's crazy. It's chaos. He's a dad. He's trying to support his wife. The baby's coming. It's crazy. You know, right? It's like, it's like a war scene going on. It's like, what's happening, right? Like, he's so overwhelmed. Baby's born in this moment, right? And they put her on mom, and it's beautiful. And he's like, oh, my gosh, right? And then he immediately wants to tell me and my mom and my dad, you know, Anaya's here. The baby's here, right? So he immediately just takes a photo of her because he can't. Have, he doesn't have time to call us, but he wants to let us know because we've been wondering, is she coming? He just takes a photo of her, and he sends it to us, okay? And he's like, she's here, right? You know, you do that, like your parents, maybe they call grandma first, or they call someone first, right? They, the, who's the first person they call, right? So he texts our group, and it's not, it's not a great photo. Basically, Anaya, she looks like a monster, kind of. You know, when babies come out for the first 10 minutes, they don't look cute. They look like aliens, you know? And so, so she came out, and her eyes opened up, and she's like, ah, like this look, right, on her face, like, okay, and no joke, her fist is up, and she's flipping off the camera. And it's the first photo, first photo of her on planet Earth. It's her like, right? And so we didn't say anything because it's like my brother's firstborn right in the moment. But we're texting each other. We're like, all right, Anaya, like coming in like, hello, planet Earth, you know, like just coming in like, right? Like she's ready. (laughs) She's ready for life, you know, right? (laughs) Nothing's going to scare her, right? And then we basically, we tell him later, like a a week or two later, hey, did you realize like that photo you sent of her? It's the first photo I ever taken. Did you realize she's flipping off the camera? And he's like, and he looks at it real quick sure enough it's as clear as day like you can't even hide it she's just like full on and it's like like but she's like five minutes old right and so and, and my brother's like i sent that to like a hundred people right and then he goes back and he like <laughs> and he starts to ask him one by one you know did you know like oh yeah 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 we all noticed like we thought it was hilarious you know right but there's a moment when the father he was so overwhelmed and he's like i just gotta take a photo and then he sent it to those who were most important to him immediately his mom his dad his brothers right Whoever you tell first when baby's born is up there on like the priority list, right? So when baby Jesus, God's one and only firstborn son is born, who is the first person he calls? And what does that show you about his heart for them? The first person who hears, my son is here. It's not kings. It's not priests. It's not the rich, it's not the godly, it's not the 
the perfect people. It's not the educated. It's the shepherds on the outskirts, away from the town, isolated. See, the shepherds, they weren't in the town. They had no idea what was going on. They lived on fields alone with sheep, right? They were dirty. They were grungy, probably had like a sailor mouth. You know, they're like kind of on the outskirts, outcasts of society, right? And this was the first one God said, we need to call. Jesus is here. What does that tell you? And he says, and the line the angels say is, it's for everyone, everywhere. What's amazing about that is he goes to the ones who are the furthest away. And he says, tell the ones who are furthest from me, this moment is for them. This moment's for everyone. In his love, he started with the people actually farthest away and told them, your savior's here. And then, and then other people start to come in, okay? You're included. Come, adore my son. Even if you're isolated, even if you're in the fields, even if you're on the outskirts, right? Come. If you went to the kings, people would be like, yeah, God cares first about like the clean people, the, the leaders. If you went to the priests, we'd say like, well, of course he went to the priests. They're like his pastors and his priests. If he went to anyone else, it would be a different Christmas story. But he goes to the shepherds. And that tells us from the get-go, God's heart was always for the lost, the dirty, the broken, the one who smell like sheep poop, you know, <laughs> right? You can't be too dirty for him to come. And this is from the beginning. Do you, man, there's moments, and I feel like these shepherds represent the seasons in our life where we feel like we're on the outskirts where we feel maybe broken or removed or dirty or whatever, isolated, alone. A lot of times it, these people represent, I believe, kind of that season of when you feel like you're kind of out in the field, right? And yet God says, you're invited there. You don't need to clean up. You're invited already. Not because you did anything. He meets you where you are. Are you staying dirty? Well, then this is for you. Come, adore him. Verse 11 says, For today in Bethlehem, remember these are the angels saying to the shepherds, For today in Bethlehem a rescuer, other verses say, Your Savior has been born to you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by this miraculous sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Then all at once, a vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heaven, and they praised God, singing glory to God in the highest realms of heaven. For there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men. Okay, hold on a second. Pause. What seems more miraculous to you? A baby being born in a feeding trough or the army of heaven showing up and all singing like, oh, they're blazing glory. And you're like, oh, right? Or a baby lying in a spot that pigs eat out of. That's not miraculous. That's weird and borderline like, you're not good parents. Like, you know, like that's like, I don't know if I would call that miraculous. What's miraculous is that an angel's talking to me. 
or all of heaven shows up and is like, the Savior is here, right? That's miraculous, and the angels don't call that miraculous. They say, here's the miracle to look for. There will be a baby lying in a feeding trough, right? And then after he says that, a greater miracle happens. More angels show up right? And I don't know about you, but like that seems really weird to me, right? Why do the angels say it's more miraculous for a child to be in a feeding trough than for me to appear here and talk to you right now? Like the miracle isn't in the sky. It's actually in the dirt. The, we're looking so often for an angelic crazy miracle And sometimes I wonder if we miss Jesus because he's in a feeding trough. We're looking for God or there's some crazy divine appointment of angels crying out to us. But what if the greatest miracle of all is actually in like the spot you least expect it? You'll find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in the feeding trough. What's so miraculous about that? Well, one commentator says this and it's really cool. Uh, shepherds, so a lot of times they would sleep not just like in the grass, you know, right? They'd get all wet and dewy and stuff. A lot of times they they sleep in these little, like, they made these little towers, like watchtowers, so you can sit up a little higher and kind of watch your, your sheep at night, okay? And so, and they would sleep up there, and they'd be safer up there and things like that. So one commentator says this, that it was on the lower floor of the watchtower that the birthing of the Passover lambs would take place. And selected ewes that were about to give birth would be brought there. After the birth of the lamb, the priestly shepherds would wrap the lamb in cloth and lay them in a manger lined with soft hay to prevent them from hurting themselves. For Passover lambs must be unblemished with no bruise or broken bones. The miracle sign for these shepherds would be a baby boy lying where the Passover lamb should be in a manger wrapped in strips of cloth. So a perfect lamb would be born, wrapped, placed in the manger. And then when the time came for Passover, they would sacrifice and kill that lamb for their sins. So what is one of Jesus's other names? The Passover lamb. When did he die on the cross at Passover? As the lamb of God to wipe away the sins of the world. And the miracle is that where you should be finding a lamb for our sins, you're actually finding a human baby. The lamb of God. The lamb God brought. That's why the angels say, this is a miracle. Everything just changed. Because you don't have to work to get clean anymore. God brought his own lamb and put it in the feeding trough for you. The place where the lamb should be, the lamb that's killed on behalf of the sins of Israel, in that same spot, you're gonna find a child. So in the house of bread, in the feeding trough, they found the bread of life. In the place of the Passover lamb, they found the unblemished lamb of God. The town of shepherds, the shepherds came and they found the great shepherd. 
When the, so verse 15, when the choir of angels disappeared back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go, let's hurry and find this word that is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. He says, come, let's go, let's go adore him. Let's go out, it's that song, come let us adore him. They're singing, come on guys, let's go adore him. Verse 16, so they ran into the village, found their way to Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a feeding trough. Jesus came for them, or God came for them. Jesus comes for you, but watch this. God came and told them in the outskirts, but in order for them to come adore him, they had to come. What was the cure for their isolation? Adoring Jesus. It brought them back into community. What was the cure for them being on the outskirts? Adoring Jesus. It brought them back. Some of you guys maybe are on the outskirts of stress, anxiety, fear, family drama, regret, whatever it is. You're kind of out there. And God will meet you there. But the cure that's going to heal you is coming to adore him. Making the choice of saying it's not, it's one thing where God calls me. It's another thing for me to go adore him. And when they made that choice, it brought them right back into community where they met the Savior right? And so verse 17, upon seeing the miraculous sign, that was not the angels, the miraculous sign, they saw the baby. Now the shepherds recounted what had just happened. Everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were told. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. The shepherds returned to their flock, ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified him for all they had heard and seen for themselves, just like the angel had said. Adoring Jesus, it moves us, guys. When you choose to come to God, when you choose to adore him, it moves us from one place to another. They went from an, like an, a separation to now the very people telling the town about Jesus. There's, there's a shift that happens. It moves from an internal position to an outward expression where they came, they were found by God one way, but they left a different way. And this is the gospel from the very get-go that he will find you one way and leave you a new way. He will find you separated and leave you in a family. He will find you dirty and leave you clean, right? He will, he will find you on the outskirts before you know it, you're right in the center of town worshiping him. Like this is the gospel from the get-go. The, the shepherds, I believe, really represent more of an isolation and the cure was really adoring Jesus. Can I go to the next person? You guys doing okay? You guys all right? You okay with the Christmas story? Trying to show the Christmas story from different vantage points, okay? So, all right, so Verse 25, as they came to the temple to fulfill this requirement, an elderly man was there waiting, a resident of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a very good man, a lover of God who kept himself pure, and the spirit of holiness rested upon him. Simeon believed in the imminent appearing of the one called the refresher of Israel, for the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah, the anointed one of God. For this reason, the Holy Spirit had moved him to, into the temple court at the very moment Jesus' parents entered to fulfill the requirement of the sacrifice. So basically, there's this old guy named Simeon who he has been waiting to see the Messiah. And God told him, I promise you'll see him one day. 
talking about timing though. When? Is it next week? Is it next month? Is it next year? He says, don't worry before you die. And so he goes to the temple every day waiting to see this promise unfold, not knowing, is it one year? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? What's amazing about this man is he was nothing special. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king. He wasn't educated. We know nothing about him. All we know is it says that the Holy Spirit rested on him, which hadn't happened yet. It's the Old Testament. That didn't happen until after Jesus died for us. So there's this guy, all we know about him is he's like best friends with God and he's really old and he's waiting for a promise of God. One would think, oh man, that if you heard God so clearly, he would have been someone famous and he wasn't. He was just like crazy old man Simeon at the temple again, right? And all we know is he just loved God. And this is Jesus's first trip to his own temple. It's the temple to worship God. He's God. He's there at his temple. No one notices him. His first trip to his own temple, the priests don't even notice. But the old man, Simeon, waiting for his promise, notices God. And I wonder if all those years of waiting, he learned how to hear God's voice. So finally, when the baby walked in, it was tuned and he heard God say, that's the one. His years of faithfulness on waiting on the promise was the very thing that equipped him to then see it when it was in front of him, right? I believe Simeon represents adoring God, adoring Jesus in the midst of the promise or the process, in the midst of the waiting, in the midst that season when the promise isn't here. I have things God promised me 10 years ago. Every time I pray about them, God says, wait. I'm like, it's been 10 years. And he's like, don't worry, before you die, you'll see this. And you're like, oh. When I was a child, I, um, there was a time, I'm gonna kind of, this is my last analogy, and then we'll kind of wrap up after here. But when I was a child, I, it was, it was one of my earliest memories. I remember my dad was making pancakes, and I wanted them so bad, right? I was four or five, and, and my dad's like, just wait, they'll be done in a minute. Just wait, they'll be done in a minute. Just wait, they'll be done in a minute, right? And finally, when my dad looked away for a second, I couldn't see. I just put my hand over the counter to get the pancakes. And I put my hand right into the fire. And of course, you think you'd be like, ah. I was like, I just left it in the fire. And I was just like, ah, right? It's my earliest memory, right? My dad, what are you, right? Takes me, bandages my hand, takes me to the hospital, right? Never got those pancakes, right? And so there's this... Because I wasn't willing to wait. <laughs> Earliest memory. There you go, right there. So, so many of us, we live in this tension sometimes where we want the promise of God, but we want it in our timing. And it's still cooking. God's still pulling it together, but we want it now. And so we stick our hands in the fire, even though the Father said, wait a little longer. And now the very hand I was meant to eat the pancake with, I can't hold the promise because I'm burned right? The very thing God wanted to give me, I can't hold because I'm now too messed up 
it, it, rather than being a promise, it's painful to hold the thing now. So now he's like, oh, I got to take you through a whole healing process now to finally get you back and give you to the very thing I wanted to give you if you would have waited five more minutes, right? And ah, oh, right, right? Because I wanted it now. And so I see people do this with friendships where they want friendships so bad, they'll run to the first group that accept, accepts them. And then now they're partying and they're drinking and they're doing drugs and all this kind of stuff. And then they look back and they're burned and they're broken. They're like, I just wanted friends. And God was like, I had friends, but you ran after the wrong people immediately. Like, wait for me, right? I see this with relationships all the time where people want that girl. They want that guy so bad, right? And there's a promise on their life to be a husband. There's a promise on their life from God. And he's just like, don't worry, before you die, I'll be married. And you're like, oh no, I could be like 80 and get married, right? Right? No. And so we're like, I want it now. Right? We just put our hands right in the fire, right? And, and we just enter in this relationship because we wanted it now and it was close enough to done. It was close enough. So I ran into that destructive relationship because it was kind of close enough. But if I would have just sought the Lord, if I would have come to him and adored him and asked him, what, oh, right? I believe it would have been accelerated and then I'm not all burnt trying to, and God's so good, he'll heal you. He will heal you. He will restore you. And then he will also bring the promise. And he's good. He never once is like, I told you so, right? He's so good. He doesn't do that. I'm the one where I'm like, man, I shouldn't put my hand on fire, you know? He's the loving father who's like, what did you do? Go to the hospital. And then, right, my dad didn't stop me and lecture me about my burnt hand. He took me to the hospital, right? <laughs> right? And so God will do that with you. But in the waiting, it's those times when the Holy Spirit works things out in your heart to hear him so that when that guy, that girl does walk in the room, he can say, that's the one I have for you. And like Simeon heard the whisper and said, okay, I know it. Verse 28, Simeon cradled the baby in his arms and praised God and prophesied saying, Lord and master, I'm your loving servant. And now I can die content for your promise to me has been fulfilled. With my own eyes, I've seen your word the Savior you sent into the world. He will be glory for your people Israel and the revelation light for all people everywhere. In waiting and adoring, he got so close to God and the promise was fulfilled. I believe this second part of the Christmas story, the first was through the eyes of the shepherds, the Christmas story was about them coming out of isolation and being welcomed even though they were dirty. For another man though, the Christmas story was the fulfillment of the promise of his season of waiting for years, right? And we'll look at two other people next week and two other seasons, right, that you can find in the Christmas story. I believe all of us walk through all these seasons. But tonight, some of you might feel like you're that outskirts guy or girl. Some of you might feel like you're good, you're there, you're Simeon, and you're just waiting, right? But the Christmas story was that Jesus came and was the answer. Both of the answers, whether you're dirty on the outskirts or whether you're just sitting there waiting and it's hard and you're depressed and you're like, when, oh God. Either way, the answer is adore Jesus. Oh, come, let us adore him. That's the answer. And it'll change your life. So next week we'll look at Anna and we'll look at the, the kings or the astrologers as well. 
and uh, their seasons as well, what they represent and what adoring Jesus did and changed in their life. But wherever you're at, we're going to go and we're going to kind of go into small groups now for about 30 minutes and we're going to kind of process through some of this stuff. Um, I'll let you know. We usually go to nine o'clock. I'll let you know when it's nine. If you need to leave, no worries. Go for it. But we love to have time together where we get to meet each other, connect, kind of process through this stuff. You can't do it alone. Don't be the shepherds on the outskirts. Come in and talk with people and connect with people, you know. And so, but let's take a moment and pray before we transition. Jesus, right now, oh man, I feel like there needs to be like an admitting right now. And if, if you're in that, you don't have to choose one or the other. Maybe you're like, I'm good. I'm great that's fine. You're in a different season. That's awesome. Praise God. But if there's some of you where you do, you're like, I'm not, I'm totally the shepherds. I feel like, I feel like the last one God would come to. And tonight you need to hear him saying, you're the first one I come for. Right. And then some of you are like, I'm faithfully serving God, but I'm tired and I'm waiting for the promise. And you need to hear God say, he loves you. He's proud of you. And the promise is coming. You will see it with your own eyes. Father, I bless them. I ask that either way that the answer would be come and adore you, Jesus. Come and adore you. And if you're in here tonight and you've never given your life to the Lord, you, you've lived on those outskirts, you've lived in the waiting, you never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you tonight to do that and say, Jesus, I'm done. I'm ready to come adore you. I'm ready to make you, my Lord and Savior. And if that's you, I would love to spend more time praying with you afterwards or talk to maybe one of the other Crux staff and whatever, and they could talk to you about what, what that looks like, okay? Um, but Lord, bless them. Thank you for them. Bless the small group time we have together. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsanmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.